one step in this long progress. It's been a team effort by us all the way. We're but part of the whole team that's worked so hard. The shuttle era will come to an end. But they won't stop inspiring, and they won't stop being a part of the fabric of America. We choose to go to the moon. everybody to another episode of the talking space podcast this is talking space episode 612 and this is a very special episode indeed we did one of these last year but the event was so great we had to go again and we had to talk about it again and that is space fest this year it was space fest 6 out in pasadena california i am sawyer rosenstein and i was able to go to the event along with gene mcculka welcome gene hey hey how's it going Good. Glad you were finally able to make it out to Space Fest this year. Oh, that made two of us. I'll tell you, it was a it was a grand event, and I think part of the magic of it was not only meeting all of these grand, you know, Apollo heroes, but also uh, sharing the moment with a lot of dear friends, folks that uh, I have not uh, I've been corresponding with for years, but I've never met in person until uh, those few days. Oh yeah, it's a uh, it's a heck of a get together, especially for um, the space community, and not just the fact that you know there's a whole bunch of moonwalkers. And let's see, we had Gemini, we had Apollo, we had Apollo Soyuz test project, we had Skylab, we had shuttle. Uh, we had a little bit of every astronaut there, with the exception of Mercury. But yeah, indeed, and um, I, I we also had some very illustrious uh, space artists there as well. Uh, in the uh, on the trade floor, uh, showing their work, and uh, if uh, you were so inclined, you could bring some of that uh, lovely work home. Which I did, yes. Um, ditto here. <laughs> and of course, there's also the speakers, and we'll get into some of those talks again because that was what we were able to highlight in last year when we talked about it. And if you missed Space Fest Five's shows, you can go back and listen to episodes five seventeen and 518 for that. But if you've listened to those, let's get right on to Space Fest 6, Space Fest VI, which was held out in Pasadena, California this year instead of the typical Tucson, Arizona. And that allowed for a couple of interesting detours, we'll say, in addition to the regular Space Fest event. Yeah, Sawyer, just one quick question before we start diving in. You went, you were there for Space Fest 5, which yes. was out in Arizona, and uh, obviously we both were there at the, uh, the, uh, the West in there for uh, Space Fest 6. The venues couldn't have been any different. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, Arizona, you're in, in the middle of the desert, you've got these lovely skies around you and so on. Uh, Pasadena, you're in essentially a metropolitan area. Um, I was wondering, from your standpoint, um, what because it, this time it was in a metropolitan area, and I asked this to some of the the other participants. But 
because of this time it was in a in a rather very city environment as opposed to out there what what was the difference of, of the feel of the event and i do want to hear the other people that you spoke to because i know you talked to a bunch of people with this exact question i do want yeah. to hear their responses after yeah. i give mine but it's very different um obviously it made it a lot cheaper when it comes to food since you're not relying strictly on the hotel food yeah uh but excluding price it's very different because um they're in completely separate venues. The hotel for Space Fest 5 was also the venue location. If you walked across a bridge and then down an escalator, there was a large uh, ballroom area which had all the vendors, and then you walk right out the door and there were the book signings, and then down that same hallway were all of the lectures. Here, you had to walk a couple of blocks away from the hotel, which not everybody was at since they sold out, actually. Right. Um, you had to walk a few blocks down to the convention center, uh, which then had the free talks upstairs uh, and the $10 talks downstairs along with all of the venues and the astronauts and the paintings. I think the venue's very different. In this one, the astronauts were way far back and in the corner, and there were a lot of them, which was great, but some of them were hidden away in the worst spots, and you couldn't see them. And Dee O'Hara, who was the nurses, she was way in the corner. If you didn't know to look for her, you would have missed her. But the art was front and center, which was great. Um, the venue for the talks, I think, were fine. The free talks had a very small room, though, and a very large room for the uh, paid talks. However, that large room, if there weren't a lot of people there, it showed, which was the case for some of it, especially on Sunday, which was the main day of panels. But overall, I personally liked the Star Pass out in Tucson better because it was all right there in one line in the same building. Um, it was a lot more open. The dark skies at night were great. There was a nice area with a bonfire for people to sit out and everyone get together at the same place. But it was still a really nice venue. I guess that was really the only complaint. They kind of missed the intimacy of that that bonfire that, you know, everybody just kind of sort of gathered around at the end of the day and and just sort of talked and, and just hung out and with either their favorite adult beverage or, or whatever and, and just sort of talked about the events and and uh, contemplated the future and so on. So I, that was really one of the main observations. And I think, too, the fact uh, that it wasn't all, you know, encased where, as, as you pointed out, Sawyer, the, the main activities occurred at the uh, Pasadena Convention Center, which I believe was about maybe, you know, two blocks down um, from where we were staying at the Westin Hotel. But um, that was one of the, the other observations, too. Had the thing been totally self-contained, a lot of people thought it might have been a little better. And the intimacy factor that some people were talking about uh, of having a bonfire there and, and all that. Although there, over in the lounge, there was that, that large fire-type thing that everybody just kind of sort of gathered around and, and kind of made up for, I think, the bonfire. Right, but I, it was definitely a different environment because that one, it was all the same place, and you just walk down the hallway and everyone would say, hey, let's go get a drink, let's go get some food and just sit out and look at the stars. Here, it was a lot different than that because the hotel, it's only a few blocks, but that's still a few blocks away. It's still a good 10, 15 minute walk. And after that, you're just like, ah, I'm done. Yeah, that, that, that was, that was the primary complaint too, that I've heard, heard as well. Although, um, one of the, the flip sides of that was that you did have options, meaning that you were right in the middle of a metropolitan area. Um, if you forgot something, you could just go to a convenience store, which was like right across the way and pick that up. 
Um, there were options for breakfast. You didn't have to, you know, pay full freight for that. And, uh, you know, you could still pick up a coffee and, and, and a scone over at the local Starbucks or, or something like that, um, for breakfast and route or, or something along those lines. But, um, it, I think it might've complicated things in that it wasn't all just encased in one area. Space Fast Six, in my my view, anyway, took on a the air of a of a family reunion more than than a conference. There seemed to me to be something for everyone over there. Where um, over at some other conferences, it was well a conference where you had sessions and so on. This thing had had you know you had art dealers there, you had you know space memorabilia dealers there, you had modelers there, you know current and former astronauts in some cases, you know running around. You had the you, you had all sorts of stuff going on, and it was really tough to find out really what what the show was all about because I think you spent more time on the floor. Uh, than I did. I was more in the sessions than 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 you were. I think. Oh yeah, without a doubt. I spent. I only went to a few of the talks, and most of them were the uh, panels on Sunday. Yeah. So so you could probably go ahead and speak more to that, you know that that the what was going on on the floor than than I can. But uh, all in all, it was it was just a fabulous experience. So if we, if we want to start going ahead and and talking about uh, you know some of the pre conference stuff that was going on, sir, so you had a wonderful experience over JPL. If you want to go ahead and talk about that, oh yeah, without a doubt. So it started off on Thursday. There was a small tour group uh, that ended up, I say, small lightly. It was about thirty or forty people who went to JPL, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, out in Pasadena. It was right near there, so it was perfect, which I think helped with the event itself in the fact that we were able to get a whole bunch of JPL scientists. I say we, I mean they. I did not have anything to do with getting the event set up, but it allowed for a whole bunch of JPL scientists to make it to the event, which we'll get to later. But the JPL tour was really interesting. Got to see uh, where they sent up the commands and everything to all the different spacecrafts. You know, if you've seen the video when Curiosity landed of everyone jumping up and down and how NASA Mohawk Guy became famous, you get to see that room and, in fact, uh, sit in that. And uh, I don't remember whose seat I sat in, but it was pretty cool. Seeing scale models of the rover, seeing where they built a lot of the spacecraft. In fact, actually, they have the test model back out in one of their testing facilities of Phoenix, which was the Mars lander. However, it's no longer the Phoenix test model. It's now for the new Mars mission, which uh, I forget what it's called. Do you remember, Gene? It's in something? The, uh, you're talking about the Mars 2016 mission, correct? That, that's inside. That's inside. Thank you. Yes, uh, basically they're using the Phoenix test model, the exact same one for InSight, because it's pretty much the same according to them. So that was interesting seeing where they're building everything. But I think by far the coolest part was where they actually send up the commands to the spacecrafts to execute their maneuvers and everything because they actually have a board listed up there of how long they've been communicating with every single one of the spacecrafts. And um, let me just go through some of the list. I'll work my way upward. So we'll start with some of the youngest. Obviously there's more. Uh, This is just a rough list so that you can get an idea of what it was like, plus that's all that I captured in the photograph. Um, so it has MER-1, which is Opportunity. It's been communicating with that 10 years, 304 days. Cassini, 16 years, 204 days. 
And now these are the cool ones. Voyager 1, 36 years, 245 days, which means Voyager 2, 36 years, 260 days from when I took that picture. They've been communicating with it through the Deep Space Network. That's stun- if you think about it, that's stunning. I, I, I was I was a little pup when when Voyager was launched back in '77, and it, I mean just to to think of of where that thing's been, how long how long it's been out there, and it's still talking, and the vehicle is is like the proverbial Energizer Bunny, you know, it's taken a licking and, and kept on ticking. And uh, uh, just some of the, the, the science that we've gotten from that is just, I'd say the U.S. taxpayer got their, uh, got their uh, money's worth out of Voyager. Oh, that's hands down for sure. Um, I mean, it was really cool. Uh, they have some great models there. I mean, they have a full-scale model of Galileo, which, wow, that is surprisingly a big spacecraft. Uh, it's not so much the spacecraft itself, which is huge, but... Uh, but the large boom that goes along with it, that extends almost the entire length of the museum room that they have there, which is huge. And then in a separate little conference room, they have a scale model. And uh, this was really cool to see. A scale model of MRO, the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter. A scale model of Voyager, which it's a lot smaller than it seems, although it's a pretty big spacecraft. But the one that shocked me the most was they had a model of Cassini. It was huge. I later learned it was only half scale. So Cassini's a really big spacecraft, and that'll lead us into a little bit what happened uh, Friday night in a little bit, so we'll hold off on that for just a moment. But it was interesting getting to finally see JPL, and a big thank you to Jay Gallantine for getting that all together. Yeah, unfortunately I missed out on that, so instead, well, well you folks were off, uh, off playing over at uh, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Um, I uh, spent some time helping the folks over at uh, the uh, the center uh, get their their gear together. That was the uh, the first day. But uh, sorry, we you and I we had an interesting uh, date with a, a familiar a familiar lady uh, the following uh, the following day. So if you want to go ahead and talk a little bit about that. So we were trying to figure out Thursday night what we were going to do Friday, and it was kind of obvious to me what we had to do. My plan was to go see the California Science Center, which does have some space memorabilia, but probably the most notable of recent is the Space Shuttle Endeavor. Now this had some personal meaning for me for two reasons. One, if you've listened to the show for a while, you've heard me say Endeavor's my girl. Endeavor's my favorite of the four space shuttles, but uh, they are very different, and uh, I can attest to that because the second reason is that this was the last shuttle I've yet to see. I've seen three of the four space shuttles prior to seeing Space Shuttle Endeavor. My goal is to see them all within one year, and this was to be 11 months, to complete what Michael Grabois called the Orbiter Grand Slam. So, seeing all four of them. So, of course, Friday, we went to the California Science Center and saw the Space Shuttle Endeavor exhibit. What did you think of it, Gene? Well, um, there was a lot of controversy, I remember, uh, with Endeavor going to California. I don't believe uh, the California Science Center even put put in a bid um, for Endeavor, but there she was, and uh, she was awarded to them. Uh, so it was it was a sore point with a lot of folks, but um, you get into the the exhibit. First off, they've got they've got a beautiful pre pre exhibit as you're walking in. 
that that was that was number one. They they really gave you the not only the history of, of the vehicle, um, but also the history of the shuttle program itself. And there were some other interesting little artifacts that were uh, dispersed in there. There was some flown um, orbiter uh, tires off to one side. There was some other flown equipment, flown experiment packages to the to the other side, and and so on. There were placards all over the place showing. You know uh, the genesis of this particular orbiter and how she was born out of the ashes of the uh, of the STS fifty one L accident, and um, you know how the, how the orbiter was named uh, and 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 so on. Uh, we talked with one gentleman over there that was actually, I think, on the team that the constructed Endeavor. He's now a um, a, a volunteer there. We we kind of discussed. Uh, some things with him uh, concerning uh, not only the vehicle, but uh, you know how it how she came to be there, and plus uh, he was he was really really trying to go ahead and 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 show off what's 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 to come with the vehicle. Um, they've got a very interesting display uh, planned for Endeavor. We'll get into that in a bit, but if you move down further into the exhibit, they had a false you know sort of sort of false uh, mission control setup. Over there, that basically showed uh, what a shuttle launch was like, and uh, it, you know, for for you and me, Sawyer, it's, it, it was a familiar uh, familiar look at things. But for others that may not have have been so close to the program the, as as you and I have been, it was it was an eye opener. Um, the the nice thing about the whole thing, I saw there was a lot of kids over there, and they seemed to be kind of interested in what was going on. Um, from that pavilion, you walk into the actual pavilion where, where the orbiter is sitting. And um, when you open up the door, there she is, right there in all her glory. And, uh, you know, the first thing that went through, through my mind was, you know, hello, hello old friend. Um, because the last time I saw that particular orbiter, she was standing upright on pad 39A, uh, about ready to, uh, to take flight for uh, her final mission. Uh, for SDS-134, uh, Mark Ratterman, who isn't with us tonight, and I sort of endured the, the Florida Air Force, if you will, that night, uh, watching the RSS retract. And, and Mark had seen that before, and, and I hadn't. And he was a, a huge trooper going through that routine with me and letting me go ahead and, and, and take the photographs. And I believe, Sawyer, there's some of those photographs may still be on the site here. If they're not, um, we'll get them up there. Uh, but that was the last time I saw this this machine, and uh, here she is. She she looks like she's in a pretty good home. Sorry, I mean, there was a lot of interpretation stuff inside the inside the the orbiter pavilion there too. Um, I believe Space Hab was 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 displayed. One the the other uh, uh, Space Hab that was not lost on STS one hundred seven. Um, it was was sitting out there. It was it's a it's a small laboratory that fits inside. If for folks that are not familiar with that, it's a small laboratory that fits inside the uh, the orbiter's cargo bay that could be used for for any type of scientific experiments and, and what have you. That was sitting over to the side. There were a few other artifacts there. There was a uh, um, a uh, a shuttle main engine. Uh, one of the ones that obviously they weren't they're not going to plan on using for uh for uh the SLS program that was sitting 
off to the side with a, a full explanation of, of what that was and how it worked. Toward the back wall, sorry, I think they had all of Endeavor's missions, placards for each one of them, which I, I was really, really impressed with as, as you're looking toward the back of the orbiter. Um, and uh, there was a lot, there was still a lot of good interpretation there. And I was impressed. I was seriously impl- impressed with what they did. And I was like, yeah, this old girl's in pretty good hands. I, 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 I you know, I, I don't know if, sorry, if you can add anything else to, to what I said, but, um, my impression was, yeah, I mean, th- this, this old girl's in pretty good hands right now, I think. Yeah, I can think of a few things. Um, they also had the engine in the back and something that uh, it was interesting because now I've seen all four exhibits. Uh, so it's interesting comparing them. Most of them are very similar uh, with the engines. Three of the four, uh, I believe Enterprise being the one exception, all have an engine that you can go out and see. Um, they're all displayed differently. Not one of them is ex- is displayed uh, the exact same way. Although Endeavor is very close to Discovery, uh, in it laying mostly flat. However, Discovery has gear down, Endeavor has gear up. But the one thing I liked about the Endeavor exhibit is its simplicity. All of the other exhibits, with the exception maybe of uh, Udvarhazi and Discovery, have a lot of stuff around them. As gorgeous as the Kennedy Space Center displays with Atlantis, as great as it is, you see the shuttle and then there's so much other stuff to see. There's the arm going out and then you've got the play areas, you've got the entire lower level, you've got a a scale model of Hubble. Uh, Even actually with Discovery, you've got the Apollo 11 um, contamination little capsule area, you've got satellites. The one thing that I liked with Endeavor is that you had Endeavor, off to the side you had uh, the Space Lab, and that was pretty much it. It made Endeavor the spotlight, the star. You got through all of the cool extra stuff and exhibits before you got to see the shuttle, so that way when you got there, all you saw was Endeavor. One other thing I noticed is that Endeavor actually, I hate to say it, but it looks newer compared to some of the others. It's a darker black and a whiter white, even though you can still see all the scuff marks on it, but I think they did a phenomenal job. It's difficult to kind of take pictures in there and get a good angle because of the way it is, but just for your own eyes, if you put that camera down and just look, it is phenomenal. And I think it's one of my favorites of the four. Yeah, there, there's a couple of, sorry, you mentioned photography opportunities. There's actually a few of them that uh, we picked up on that were absolutely fantastic. Um, and and they're both, oddly enough, you know, okay, you, you circle around the orbiter and what's at the end end of your trek? I'll give you one guess. They took you know a, a page out of at a Disney's book, and there's the gift shop. Well, if you you go ahead and you take you go to the gift shop and the the two exits at either side, there are some some phenomenal picture opportunities right there. So if you do go uh, to to see uh, Endeavor right now over at the California Science Science Center. Uh, right by the two exits, the, the, the two, uh, one's an emergency exit, so don't lean up against the door, but um, that is one, pic, uh, one photo op that, that, that's pretty darn good. The other one is right at the exit, believe it or not, and it's just right at the, I believe it's the, I'm trying to remember, uh, the right-hand side by the exit door. You probably want to go ahead and snap the picture there because you could pretty much get almost the full orbiter that way. But yeah, so the 
Endeavor exhibit, having seen all four, if I were to personally rank them, and this is person, my personal ranking, uh, it would be Atlantis, Endeavor, Enterprise, and Discovery. And yes, I know I worked on the Enterprise exhibit, and yeah, I'm still putting it in third, but um, I don't know. I think Atlantis, it, it's such a unique display. It's a way that you can never see any of the other shuttles, and that's as it was in flight, and they just did an amazing display, and the entrance is jaw-dropping, that you just are so in awe right there that the entire exhibit is great. Endeavor, like I said, the starkness of it, just how it's just the shuttle. That makes it so much more just wow there's not other distractions it's a big wow factor so if you know the shuttle program it's amazing if it's your first time learning about it not as much educational material enterprise since they redid it though entranceway is great walking underneath that one is cool getting nose to nose is quite the experience and it does have some great information and now they have a soyuz capsule in there too which is interesting and then discovery it's simple if you like simple it's great and they do have some great space stuff like i mentioned the apollo 11 um, isolation little chamber and some of the satellites and everything and it's a great tour but personally I think that has the least to offer of all of them although the orbiter in my opinion is the most gorgeous of the four discovery the I will another hats off I'll, I'll give to the California Science Center they've got a few interesting artifacts outside of the uh, um, outside of the Endeavor exhibit, one of them was uh, the uh, Mercury capsule, Mercury Redstone Two, that I believe took Hammond orbit, and and that one is is kind of interesting because we found some things about uh, that particular Mercury capsule I've never seen on other uh, and on others. First, the interior is obviously going to be different because you're you're um, accommodating a well, an, an, a, um, a monkey rather than, than a human being, so things are going to be a little different inside, inside the cockpit, but not, not all that much. The Mercury uh, panel was over there just fine. But the, the, the thing that struck me about this particular Mercury capsule was, was, the, was the nose. Uh, there were some interesting little hieroglyphs on the, the side of the nose, and it was the entire launch, it, it was the entire mission. It was essentially the launch sequence and so on, and how to how to they even had instructions on how to pull the capsule out uh but, and these were little little things that were stenciled on on the side of the nose and the only thing i can come up with was that just in case somebody else found this thing that and they couldn't get to it um or or the the us you know the us navy couldn't get to it was they gave the the, the individual instructions on how to pull this thing out of the water so a the 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 uh the, the chimpanzee passenger inside wouldn't get harmed, but B, the proper way of pulling this thing out so the capsule wouldn't get harmed and would probably be, be returned. So that's the only thing I could come up with. We were kind of tossing, the whole group were, were kind of tossing that around, trying to figure out why the heck that was on there. So if, if anybody else has got um, some knowledge about that out there, I'd love to, to, to hear it and possibly uh, have somebody write in and, or even we'll have you on and, and, and talk about it a little bit more. But uh, that's the only other solution I can come up with. Yeah, no, they had, um, it's amazing. They have a vehicle from every single program. They've got Mercury, Gemini, Apollo, and now Shuttle. Uh, so of every U.S. program, I should say, manned. So that's really impressive. And I was beyond amazed in California Science Center. Well done. Yeah, hats off to you. Now, on to the main event, and that is Space Fest 6. 
so it started off on Thursday evening with a welcoming event, and at that event was two things. It was uh, Carolyn Porco talking about 10 years with Cassini at Saturn, but before that, it was the famous astronaut panel, which last year was the biggest hit. It completely packed the room, and if you listen back to the episode, it had some great moments, some funny moments. It was absolutely hysterical. And Gene, I think this year didn't disappoint either. No, it didn't. Uh, sorry, you and I were kind of, uh, you know, in in the same, you know, proximity there during the during the program. And uh, it, I believe, it was Carolyn Porco and uh, uh, author uh, Andrew Chaikin kind of doing the the emceeing of this particular event and asking questions and so on and so forth. Uh, there was a really, you know, I, I think there were about eight or nine, uh, f- you know, of the uh, the Apollo uh, group up there. And uh, one of the, the opportunities, you know, personally I had during that event um, was to actually look Albine in 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 the eye and tell him, "Darn, I'm a I'm a fan of your work." <laughs> Um, I, uh, I, I've, I've been collecting his work since like the 1990s and, and, uh, it was, uh, one of the things I, I was able to tell him, uh, you know, in front of everybody was the fact that, uh, I don't have to know what, what it's like to go walk on the moon. You tell me every day, uh, by, by your, your, your artwork. And I, I wanted to, to let him know that and he had this big grin on his face and he was very gracious and he said, thank you. Uh, the question I asked was really about the future of the program. Um, if uh, these folks were in charge today, uh, what would they be doing? You know, it, it seemed to me that we're kind of in a lurch. And uh, I leveled the question at Jim McDivitt because I remember a quote he had made in a documentary saying that if it weren't for, for, for Kennedy, we'd still be kind of horsing around trying to get to the moon. And uh, I, I said, well, lately it seems to me we're doing a lot of horsing around now. Um, what in, in their estimation could stop all the horsing around and, and cut through all of the stuff we're experiencing now and, and let's move forward? And Jim McDivitt replied in a very interesting manner and it was almost, a, it was a brutally honest thing. Um, he said flat out in this environment, he didn't think Congress was really going to be willing to go ahead and pay for anything like you know long long range or long long term. And his thought was to continue exploring you know robotically with Mars and and so on, but not just Mars. Continue robotically exploring other places and other venues. Um, in his, his eyes, he didn't think that Congress was going to spend the money to to get humans you know out of lower low earth orbit again and off to other places and that response kind of kind of chilled me a little bit it, it it's it sat with me all during during the uh the the uh the proceedings and i was like hmm i kind of wish i had an opportunity to go ahead and follow up with him on that unfortunately i i did not but he he's really animate thinking that congress is just not going to pay again for another human program something like along the lines of apollo and and that 
that I found found kind of sad and also kind of kind of a sobering um, sobering deal. And that's coming from uh, the boys and girls. That's coming from the uh, the former Apollo program manager himself, uh, because after he uh, he stepped down after Apollo Nine from the astronaut corps and and became the Apollo program manager. Um, so again, it, it, it's a sobering thought. Um, sorry, you, you had a very interesting questions question too, uh, STEM related and how to energize folks, um, that way. So if you want to go ahead and talk about that. Sure. Yeah. My question was to any of them about, you know, being an educator, how do we get kids, uh, my age, which is 20 currently and others, uh, involved and energized and caring about the space program because to be perfectly honest right now people my age don't care and people younger than me don't really care that much either anymore so what do we do and uh, they all had very interesting things to say about it how do we inspire the the new generation jack lausman well i think something you never quit on that you you have to just uh, keep after it and uh, the big words uh, is these they STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. And so uh, we're often asked to go out and inspire kids uh, in that area. And I think we can continue to do it. Uh, one of the one of the uh, dichotomies or the or the uh, the real idiosyncrasies of this whole uh, system, however, is that we had a program that was going to the moon, and uh, then they're going to go to Mars. And the president canceled it, but he wants us to go out and inspire the kids on STEM, taking away what we really need to make that happen. But I find in talking to young people that uh, there are still lots of kids out there who are interested and inspired by what's been done in the past. You have to get them over the, the, um, the sense that, uh, you know, to them, what we did now is like electric lights and television. It's always been there, so it doesn't uh, dazzle them quite so much. But I think if you stick with it and you don't give up, that you can uh, continue to impress them by uh, uh, talking to them, by uh, getting their teachers uh, um, inspired. There are a lot of uh, organizations around the country now who are uh, trying to have the STEM program built up, whether they're museums or whether they're uh, some other kinds of uh, aviation-type organizations. They're, they're, they're all starting to have the um, um, the um, desire to have a, a STEM program, an educational program. So I think that, uh, I don't think it's as bad as it seems. If we don't give up, it'll be successful. I asked a couple of astronauts later, uh, when I was just meeting them at Space Fest, what we do, and a lot of them are saying, well, we need a program, was one of the answers. We need a definite destination, was a large one I heard. Uh, and we need to show that it's worth it. And I mean, that goes back to when I was talking to Neil deGrasse Tyson a few weeks ago, or a few weeks before the event at Neef. And like he said, if we had something on the front page every day, people would want to know more about it. And with the astronauts, they kind of agree. There's not much of a space program to go off of right now to get people inspired. It, having, I mean, we do have, for the first time in a long time, um, not want just one ship under construction, but let me see, one, two, three, four. You know, four that I know of that are that one of which is going to go beyond l low Earth orbit. That's that's NASA's Orion. The other three are going to be uh, shuttling us back and forth to the International Space Station. Only two of them, unfortunately, are going to be winning a contract, which to me is still kind of 
awful. There was news this week that Congress wanted that whittled down to one, which to me makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. It kind of just, you know, it flies in the face of what, what the commercial crew program was really, really supposed to be all about. And that was to give the U.S. taxpayers some choices as to you know what spacecraft to take at in, in certain in certain uh, instances, and also if one of those ships should fail, you still have up two others to fall back on, and you don't lose your total access to the International Space Station. Now, as it as it stands, we're only going to have two options. And and there was a move, if, I, I believe, um, in in the latest provisioning package, uh, to try to cut that down to one one uh, provider, which to me is ridiculous. So um, uh, you know, I, there are there are things going on, but it, it just is not igniting them. I think once these things start flying um, again, I think that that. That imagination is going to get reignited, but not until not until then. I don't. I, I think we need to start flying again. Yeah, and I must say, Andy Chaykin also paid a very kind comment to me in saying that it's not just the programs; it's the people. People need to be passionate about it, and then pass that passion on. Which Andy Chaykin was kind enough to say that I had, and thank you, Andy, for that. Yeah, I agree with you, Jack. I think there are a lot of young people who are excited about space, and I would say Sawyer that. You're part of the solution, too. Passion is contagious, and you're one of the most passionate space fans I've ever come across, so just go out and spread the word. That's my advice. It is true. You need people who are very passionate about what they do. And that was also great later in the event when I got to talk with Eileen Collins, and she, you know, I saw her interacting with uh, a couple of school-aged girls at one of these events, and also there was a school group there talking with them, and just, she was so inspirational to these people in the way that she was just talking about spaceflight. No question was too stupid. No question was too minor. No matter how many times she's heard the same question, her approach to it was just passion and inspiration, saying, you can do it, and here was my experience, and it's so great. So people like that, like Eileen Collins, a big tip of the hat to her for an amazing job in inspiring too. But it, it's true. You need the people. Yeah, agreed. And uh, uh, again, that we we got to start. You need the people, and I think too, you need the headline. And I think once we start getting off the pad again with humans, I think people are going to start paying attention again. And you still have have the you know the headlines being grabbed by uh, one particular company right now that. I'm not going to mention the company name, that, but everybody thinks thinks that they're uh, a NASA replacement, and no, they're not. <laughs> Just for the um, for the for the folks who think so, no, they're not a NASA replacement. NASA's still alive and well. Thank you very much. What they're doing could be part of the portfolio, the exploration portfolio, but they're not. Th this particular company is not a NASA replacement. So you know, stop it. Um, there were some other. Uh, the the next day, really, the the event really really got started. The the uh, the event, Sawyer, you and I are talking about that happened at a uh, at a theater, if I'm not mistaken, a really beautiful one too. At that, um, right next to the uh, uh, the convention center, and uh, um, the following the following day, Saturday, really 
the the show got got started in earnest, I think. And uh, uh, there were just so many things going on on that one day. You were running around the floor again more than I was. So if you want to just talk a little bit about what the the environment was like on the you know on at on the dealer floor and what was going on there, it was almost almost I. I'd, it was almost a, a carnival atmosphere, if I if 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 I may be so bold. That's an interesting way to compare it. I've never heard it like that, but now that you mention it, I could see that as kind of like a carnival. It was uh, indeed. There's a lot going on. It's a lot to take in. In the middle is all of the artists. Um, middle back ish. On the very back, around the outer wall, was a big C or a U, depending on which way you're looking at it. Shape of astronauts. And it was in no particular order, but you had people there on different days at different times. But it included the likes of Gene Cernan, Fred Hayes, uh, Rusty Schweiker, Dave Scott, Al Bean. Oh, there was just so many different astronauts, it's hard to name them all. Uh, if you take a look on their website, spacefest.info slash vi, they have the whole list of people that were there. Eileen Collins. Um, but the one that I think is the most interesting to point out is everyone's favorite astronaut, Buzz. He had a huge line of people. He was only there for, I believe it was one day. It was just um, Sunday. I'm not sure. I know I'm going slightly out of order. But I did want to just point this out. Um, his line was huge. He was charging $600 per autograph. If you didn't want the autograph and just a picture, 100. Um, a source had told me that within the first hour, he had already racked up five digits. I believe it was over 25000 if not $30,000 in the first hour he was there at that price. Um, and apparently he was not that nice to people as well, which if you know Buzz, none of this will come as a surprise to you, as there have been uh, talks of that in the past. I've had nothing but fine communications with him. Um, but some of the astronauts there were absolutely amazing, and they'll talk with you for a long time. Um, Jerry Ross, who's been on the show. I finally got to meet Tom Jones, who's also been on the show. Uh, Rusty Schweikert, you got to meet him as well. He's been on talking about B612. Um, in addition, there were also the vendors, which there was a whole wide array. You had people selling pins and patches. You had people selling models, people selling memorabilia. Um, people like Jeff Notkin, friend of the show, selling meteorites. So it was, a, if you didn't want to go to any of the talks, you could spend the entire day like I did for most of the days, just wandering around the floor talking to people, talking to vendors, and especially talking to the astronauts. Yeah, the the interest the to just to reiterate just something a little bit bit about uh, about the Buzzman. Um, he's when you go over to when you run into him at the International Space Development Conferences, for instance, he's a little different. I'm a little bit surprised that he did not give the uh, talk that he gave at this year's ISDC at Space Fest Six because I think still he would have had some members of this particular audience that would have wanted to hear about his vision for uh, for Mars and for Mars uh, exploration, as it were. Um, and uh, what, how the how the moon can still play a, a role in that particular uh, endeavor there too, but um, he didn't. He didn't. He he saved that for uh, ISDC, and I kind of questioned the wisdom of that one because I still say that had he given that talk at Space Fest Six, um, 
he still would have had had a very attentive audience, and that room would have been packed. Uh, I mean, it was it was pretty. I mean, Gene Cernan gave his talk on um, you know his upcoming film, Last Man on the Moon, and that was standing room only in that room. Uh, you couldn't find a seat. Um, so my bet was that that had Buzz made that talk, um, I think it would have been the same thing. It would have been SRO, SRO but uh, he chose not to do that at that particular audience at that particular venue, which I found a little bit. Uh, I don't know. I found that a little bit uh, depressing in a way. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, I have to give a shout out to uh, to Rusty Schweikert. Um, he, as Sawyer mentioned, is uh, one of the, the, the founders of the B612 Foundation, some, a uh, group of individuals that is trying to go ahead and protect the Earth uh, from near-Earth asteroids and sort of set up a system to sound the alarm if one of these uh, asteroids gets near the planet, what to do about it. At two of the talks, actually, uh, Rusty gave uh, his thoughts about uh, how, if there was something coming our way, how should the alarm be be sounded and, and what we should do about it. And uh, it, 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 some things I learned a little bit. One, he's not really a, a big fan of the United Nations, and I don't know anybody who really is. But in, in his eyes, um, that's probably the way to go as far as uh, the group that should be in charge if one of these these things are actually coming our way um, for the simple reason that they have you know some sort of authority um, on, on a global scale and can still you know be a venue to for collaboration to make these decisions um, he's not happy with that because they do move you know at a snail's pace on occasion and when there's something coming at you, you don't want to move at a snail's pace. You want to go ahead and get this thing moving and going. So, but but he doesn't see any any way around that. That's one. And two, he discussed to how to really deflect an asteroid that might be coming our way. And no, you don't call Bruce Willis and go up there with a shuttle and blow it up. Um, you 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 try to nudge it in in one direction or another direction. But the, the, the dip, what you need to do is you need to figure out the direction that you want to nudge this thing thing into, and and we'll go more in depth on that in in, in another at another time. But uh, he gave a colossal talk on on behalf of the B B612 Foundation both on Saturday and 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 the final day on Sunday. He was part of a panel. Talking about uh, about uh, uh, near Earth objects and and how to deal with them, um, just just a just a fantastic uh, individual too. He's very gracious. However, there's one moment that happened at Space Fest Six that is going to sit with me forever, and it was an idea that was hatched by one of the leaders of the uh, of the Brit Army. There, this is a, a Facebook group that uh, is. Is was all going to Space Fest and and kind of help e each other out getting there and and so on and and this little family decided uh, Sawyer you and I are among that little group um, to give a a hero a bit of a birthday present and uh, it was Vance Brand's birthday 
that weekend and and both of the, the entire group i think there was a there's a handful of folks uh ambushed him if you will <laughs> with a uh with a with a small birthday present and and when we conducted that ambush the the big grin on that guy's face i will never forget as long as i live and you had th- this group of individuals serenading i'm sorry you you, you kind of struck up the band if you will um with with a with the the typical strain of happy birthday and 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 the one picture i am not ever going to get out of my head is is the the smile on vance brand's face as we we sang happy birthday to him and uh for those of you who may follow you know sawyer and myself or members of uh of, of the infamous brit army on on facebook you'll see uh, a photograph of uh of that group shot and Sawyer, you're going to be kind enough to go ahead and take uh, take one of those photographs that I believe your dad took, and uh, and post that up on the website. To me, that's also one of the most that that was also one of the beautiful slice of life moments, if you will, from that event. And it's something I'm not going to forget for an extraordinary long time, just because of, of Vance Brand's reaction. And it's it's nothing like going ahead and. And uh, uh, giving a, a a hero a bit of a unexpected present. Exactly, and having other heroes join in with the picture with um, Jerry Ross and Fred Hayes, and I, I do love getting them all over there. Um, as Fred walked over, everyone started chanting his name, Fred, 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 and then <laughs> of course um, for Jerry Ross, if you Same live thing. in the United States and know of the Jerry Springer show. It sounded a lot like that with everyone going, Jerry, Jerry. <laughs> and, of course, they both were happy to oblige and come on over, and they were great about it. And they're great people, and Vance Brand was very appreciative with the gifts and the singing. And he looked very surprised and blown away, and I think we helped make his day. Yeah, that that's a Sawyer again. That, that That's one of the things that I'm going to walk away that I that's going to sit with me if – if one event is going to sit with me during during that particular day, it's going to be that one, because oh man, just just the look on that on that man's face was priceless, and I was like, yes, we made this guy's day. Yes, indeed. So there was a lot of those little things too, but of course, in addition to the personal moments, they had the talks. Now, is there any talks in particular that you want to focus on, or do you just want to mention them? And oh wow, do I on? ever go for it? So, this amazing event, just like last year, there's so much information, we cannot fit it all into one show. Stay tuned to next week, where we'll have more about a lot of the talks that you may not have heard about, um, a special trip to a really large telescope, and a little bit about another event that occurred out in California the following weekend, and that was ISDC. So all of that coming up in next week's show, where Gene McCulka, will you join me once again? Oh, we'll be here, Sawyer, guaranteed. Great, and we hope you will, too. Until then, as always, have a great day, night, evening, or whatever it may be, where you are. 